0: I have five children, children, until you have a child, you don't know what it's like. But children do something to you and I'm enamored, not just with my five children, I'm enamored with with, uh, children everywhere. Uh, Here's a photograph of my five children, okay that's not my kid. (laughs) That's my wife surrounded by our five children. And I love to watch them. And each one, each one is my child. And yet each one is very different. Each one has my DNA. And yet each one is very different. And the, the child developmentalist will tell us that there is this tension between nature and nurture as we try and understand what makes the person the person. You know, nature, the the DNA that God selectively takes from the mother and the father and combines with God's spark of life to create a new person. But it's not just the DNA that God has put together that makes a person that may be the nature, that may be the genetics, that may be mechanically what gives you the color eyes you have or the lack of hair you have as you pull into your 50s or the whatever it may be. I teach you to tell my secrets. And I did not pay for these books. I made Becky do it. Um, but we've got DNA, we've got nature... But we're more than that. We're also nurture. We're our environment. The, 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 the family, the, the atmosphere, the, the, the culture we grow up in. And while child developmentalists and psychologists will talk about nature and nurture, and these are buzzwords, and, and there their studies and, and all of these things, what makes a, a person a person? Is it more what you got genetically, or is it more what's happened to you in your life? Are you more nature or more nurture? The interesting thing for me is Scripture talks about those ideas as well. If we take just a look at Psalm 139. In Psalm 139 the psalmist says. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That is nature. That's the DNA. That's God's creation. But the same psalmist later on says. You him me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me god you didn't just create me in my mother's womb you have you the lord is my shepherd you lead me beside still waters you restoreth my soul you make a table for me in the presence of my enemies you god is at work in our lives in our environment He didn't just create us, it's not just nature with God, it's also nurture. And so that tension of nature and nurture, I want to look at in Paul's life. I would love to have Paul in here for about an hour. For weeks, months, years. But I would love to be able to probe with him some questions. I love finding out about people. We were at a, a function last night... Jim Patterson was there. I got a chance to visit with Jim Patterson, who's one of the deacons here. He's an outgoing uh, head of the deacons. Uh, uh, and, and I'd never spent much time visiting with him and, and where he grew up and what his life was like. And it was fascinating for me. Stephen Meori, Lewis's son, is marrying Jim's daughter. And so Stephen's sitting next to me as, we're t- as I'm talking to Jim. And I'm asking Jim some questions and Stephen's sitting there saying, man, I didn't know that. Because it's illuminating when you find out where people come from. What, 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 what was their environment? Fascinating. I would love to know that about Paul. The thing is, we actually do know some things about Paul through careful study of scriptures and history. And that's where I want to start us this morning. Here's the road map of where we're going. We're going to look at the relevant scriptures... We're going to look at the implications from those scriptures, and then we'll have our points for home and we'll be done. Ought to be done in 26 minutes. So fasten your seatbelt. First, The relevant scriptures, most of them we find in the book of Acts, and we'll go into them in some more detail later. But in the book of Acts, that's the book where we read about Paul's conversion. Before Paul's converted, we read about Paul holding the cloak of the people who are stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 8. We've got Paul's conversion, and then Paul goes out, he does his mission trips. Ultimately, as we hit into the 20s in the book of Acts, Paul is back in Jerusalem and Paul gets accosted by a crowd of Jews who are very upset, who are trying to kill him. Paul's reaction is uh, uh, one that we don't know fully, but the Roman Tribune doesn't like the riot that's happening and has Paul arrested. And Paul's about to be taken to the barracks. At that point in time, Paul is addressing the Roman Tribune and Paul says to the Tribune, uh, can I say something to you, please? And says it in Greek. Okay, yeah, now Paul's a Jew in Jerusalem. Who's fighting with all these other Jews, the Romans sending them out. And Paul looks at the Roman Tribune and calls out in Greek, may I say something to you? The Tribune's response is, you speak Greek not sure that Egyptian guy everybody's all upset about. Paul well, says, I'm not the Egyptian guy. Yes, I speak Greek. And let me tell you in the best Greek I can, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. And I'm a citizen of no obscure city. Which translated means this. I'm from this town, Tarsus in Cilicia, and I am a citizen of that town. That's different than a Roman citizen. It's a citizen of the town of Tarsus. He's on the citizen rolls for Tarsus in Cilicia. No obscure city. Says, uh, Tribune's kind of stunned. Paul says, I'd like to talk to the crowd. Can I please address the crowd before you cart me off to the barracks? Tribune says, Okay. Then Paul turns to the crowd, switches from Greek to Aramaic, which is the variety of Hebrew, if you will, that was being spoken in common parlance by the Jews. Paul addresses the crowd, and when he addresses the crowd, he says, I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city educated at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. Famous rabbi. And Paul proceeds to address the crowd. And the crowd's handling the the address okay as Paul charts through Jesus and how Paul had persecuted the church but how Paul has come to faith and and, and the crowd's doing okay until Paul says, and God sent me to tell the, the Gentiles about all of this. And that whips the Jews into their fever pitch and the tribune decides Paul's gone too far. You know, I thought this guy could speak some Greek. He is a citizen of Tarsus, and so I gave him the deference. I let him speak to the crowd, and all he's done is incite a riot. So the tribune orders his men to take Paul in and question him while they're beating the stuffing out of him. It's called torture. They're going to go do the Jack Bauer thing on him to find out what his agenda is, okay? At which point, Paul says, you can't do that. I'm a Roman citizen, not just a citizen of Tarsus. Tribune says, you're a Roman citizen? Paul says, yep. Tribune says, uh, well, I am too. And I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. Paul says, yeah, well, I was born a citizen. Which means Paul's daddy was a Roman citizen. Which means Paul is not like nouveau arrivo. He's old time religion. It means that not just did Paul come into a bunch of money and be in the right place at the right time and buy Roman citizenship. But Paul's people knew people. At which point the tribune says, "Uh uh-oh, don't beat him, please. Plan B, stop the torture. Now, as time goes on, Paul gets brought and moved and brought and moved. And we keep reading and and Paul has a chance to explain that uh, he's a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. But there's still a plot by the Jews to kill him. Now, word of the plot gets to, of all people, Paul's nephew, the son of Paul's sister. He hears that there's going to be an ambush and goes to Paul and says, Hey, Uncle Paul, let me tell you about what's about to happen. Paul sends him to uh, uh, the tribune, says, you go tell him. Basically, they ship Paul around. They get him over to Caesarea and over in Caesarea. They hold Paul. While they're holding Paul, Paul finally gets a chance to make his defense in front of King Agrippa, who comes with uh, at Festus's bequest because Agrippa knows something about those Jews. And Paul makes his defense in Acts 26 in front of King Agrippa. And in the process says, my manner of life... From my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation, and in Jerusalem, Tarsus and Cilicia, and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. Everybody knows what my life's been like. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And we'll talk about this more next week. This is an indication that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. It also helps us date Paul's age. Paul would have been roughly the same age as Jesus. Philippians 3, Paul gives us uh, more scripture. He talks about being circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Why is that important, a tribe of Benjamin? It means Paul could still trace his lineage all the way back through the dispersion, through the captivities. He had they, His family were purebred and kept track of it. A Hebrew of Hebrews, which means he studied Torah and could speak Hebrew. Read Hebrew. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. These are the verses that give us insight. And the implications of these for Paul are as follows. We know Paul was a Roman citizen. We know Paul was a Tarsian citizen, a citizen of Tarsus. We know that Paul's father was a devout Pharisee. We know that Paul was not an only child. He clearly had at least one sister. He had family close by. We know Paul spoke Greek, he spoke Latin, he spoke Aramaic slash Hebrew. We know Paul lived in Jerusalem, but we also know Paul had a substantial part of his life in Tarsus. We know that Paul studied under the Rabbi Gamaliel. Next week we will look at more of these factors. We don't have time to look at all of them today. We're going to be going into some depth on the Jewish factors. and Those are fascinating because we've got a lot of material to help us understand what it meant to be a student of Gamaliel, for example, instead of the other rabbis. Gamaliel was the liberal. We'll talk about that next week. This week, we're going to take a look at just a couple of things. First, Tarsus. Paul was from Tarsus. Now, this is uh, the Mediterranean that we've got on the, the PowerPoint. And you can see Jerusalem, Damascus with a hard K instead of a C spelling, Corinth, the same thing, Athens, and Rome. Tarsus is in Turkey, right there. Uh, it be considered southeast Turkey on the coast. And that's someone studying Paulishly there. You can go to Tarsus. It's still a city today. The city itself was about 10 miles inland from the coast, but it was on a river, the Sidonus River. In fact, the river forms a bay, formed a bay there that kept a navy present. It was a naval presence. Paul grew up. Interesting, Jews in Israel historically were fearful of the ocean. The ocean was a bad thing, it produces big fish that eat prophets. (laughs) If you want to fish, that's fine. If you want to go on a boat, that's fine. But stay on Galilee. Don't go out in the ocean. The Israelites were never seafaring people. And scholars have been able to trace and write. and, And we could take time and go through the Old Testament and see the writers using as negative symbolism the idea of being on the sea. Yeah, but not Paul. Paul grew up in Tarsus. So while he grew up Jewish, the sea was natural. It was a way of defense. It was a way of transportation. It was a way of commerce. Uh, Tarsus itself, very old city. Goes back 2,000 years before Christ in historical records. It was uh, Alexander the Great. Nearly died in Tarsus. But he spent time in Tarsus. Lots of other old kings spent time in Tarsus. You can read about it. After Julius Caesar gets killed by Brutus and Mark Antony takes up his cause, Mark Antony lives some in Tarsus. In fact, Cleopatra comes to visit Mark Antony in Tarsus, dressed up like the goddess Aphrodite going up the river to see him on the barge. There is a gate you can still find there called the gate of Cleopatra in Tarsus. Tarsus is a town. There was a a historian. Actually, he's called a geographer. His name was Strabo. S T R A B O. And Strabo wrote histories and geographies. He was a fella. He was like uh, the Rick Steves of uh, or uh, what's the travel Fodders, 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 or what's another travel book? Anybody use travel books? No? Okay, well, you can buy them at Barnes & Noble. He's, this guy produces the travel book for Rome. Romans. He goes through and he just talks about all these different places in the Roman Empire. He's got chapters, pages, paragraphs about all these different places. And he goes on at some length about Tarsus. He's writing about the time Paul was born. He lived to about 20 or 25 AD. So through Paul's teenage years at least. Now, I chose as an overlay some of the Tarsian remains. That's a road in Tarsus. It would have been there at the time of Paul. And I've put some of what Strabo had to say up. Strabo says, The people of Tarsus have devoted themselves so eagerly, not only to philosophy but also to the whole round of education in general. They've surpassed Athens, Alexandria, or any other place that can be named where there have been schools and lectures of philosophers. It was a university town, Bruce says in his book. Tarsus was as famous for its schools of rhetoric and philosophy as Athens. It was a major seat of learning and intellect in the Greek world. Strabo also says, the men who are fond of learning are all natives. The people who went to the schools at Tarsus grew up in that area. The foreigners don't tend to go there. Neither do the natives stay. After they learn at these schools, they go abroad. Which tells you that the reputation of Tarsus was not only in Strabo's mind and writings, but was well established everywhere. Another writer says one of the main exports of Tarsus were scholars. People would grow up, they'd get this incredible education at one of the finest schools in the civilized world, and then they would go out and teach. And this is where Paul grows up. The city of Tarsus, Strabo says, has all kinds of schools of rhetoric. Rhetoric is persuasive speaking. In general, it not only has a flourishing population, but also is most powerful. It was a powerful place with philosophy and wisdom oozing out every school. All of these schools of famous schools of rhetoric and and smooth talking speech. Which I think underscores the punch of Paul telling the Corinthians... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or rhetoric, with wisdom philosophy. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. This comes from the guy who grew up in the town where people made a living with philosophy and lofty words of smooth speech. But he knew that was nothing compared to the power of God. Now, what else do we know from Paul in his growing up? Paul uses incredible metaphors in his writings. Metaphors. um, Picture images, if you will, to communicate his messages. He'll have metaphors about the theater. Metaphors about soldiering. Metaphors about commerce. Metaphors about the court system. Metaphors about races and games. Training. Things that you don't read about in the writings of of, uh, other New Testament writers. But things that are wonderful ways for Paul to go out to the Greek world and take the gospel message. Because Paul was fitted both by nature and nurture to go out into the world and to preach to these foreign people who knew not the ways of the Jews. And he does so. For example, this is a picture in the PowerPoint of a tombstone for a child. Actually, I think two children. Both of the children are there with an adult. The adult is the pedagogos. Or pedagogue, we would say in English as we've anglicized this Greek word. A pedagogue was someone who had a very specific role in the life of a youth in that day and age. A pedagogue is someone who was responsible for taking care of the children. The pedagogue would teach the child manners. Mike would have had a pedagogue that would teach you the good manners that your mom instead taught you. But you would have a pedagogue who would teach you that. Not only did the pedagogue teach manners... But the pedagogue was your protection. Children would not go out at night. And children would not go out alone. In a lot of the bigger cities. It was very common to molest children. Especially young boys. It was a huge problem. In that world at that time. And so. The pedagogue would go with them. Kind of a babysitter. But more than just a babysitter. A protector. The pedagogue Was expected to beat the children too. To discipline them. The pedagogue. Would protect. Would walk the children to school. And walk the children back home from school. Until the children became adults. That's what a pedagogue would do. Now. Paul. Uses the word for a pedagogue. Who protected. Taught manners and behavior. Who escorted. Uses it in two separate books in the New Testament as a metaphor he uses it in Galatians when he says the law was our guardian and that's the English Standard Version translation how do you translate a pedagogue into English we don't have anybody who does that guardian tutor some others say custodian some others say permanent nanny babysitter I haven't read that in any translation, but it might be there. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. The pedagogue was responsible. The law, the Torah, would teach us how to behave. It would teach us right from wrong. It would protect us as we followed what it said. It would escort us to Jesus. It would point out who Jesus is to us and get us ready to beat it. And that's the way the law functioned. Don't ever confuse the law for something that once you become an adult, you still have in that sense. That doesn't mean once you're an adult. Paul's not saying, hey, now that I'm an adult, I don't have to do right and behave with good manners. Nonsense. Your pedagogue taught you better than that. You know the importance of it. But you're not doing it because your pedagogue is staring at you and is going to beat you if you don't. You're doing it because you've grown up and you know to do it. That's what the law is. Citizenship in Tarsus. Quick one here. Paul came from a family with money. We know that it cost 500 drachma to be a citizen in Tarsus at the time. It's a lot of money. And Paul had it. And Paul's family had it. We know that Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. There were several different ways you could become a Roman citizen. There was a huge difference between being a Roman citizen and not. Under Roman law, you had to be a Roman citizen to marry. Now, that's not to say that Jews and other people that weren't Roman citizens, they still married, but they didn't marry legally under Roman law. Under Roman law, you had to be a citizen for any number of rights. And there were not a lot of citizens. The citizenry gave Paul certain rights. So when Paul's in the jail in Philippi, and this is an actual jail cell that's been excavated. Paul's able to use his citizenship... To basically get an escort out of town because uh, the magistrates have Paul beaten. And when Paul lets them know, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, you weren't allowed to beat a Roman citizen. And and you could be killed if you did so. By the way, if you ever claim to be a Roman citizen and you weren't, you die. <laughs> so it's not the kind of thing where people would walk around faking it. Oh, I'm a Roman citizen. Let me see. Uh, let my put my uh, uh, I forgot it it's in Tarsus but trust me it's there um, Paul used his citizenship before the tribunal the tribune, as we already talked about but ultimately he used it when the tribune was going to release him Paul used his citizenship said no I appeal to Caesar because a Roman citizen had the right to have Caesar preside over his trial and it took Paul to Rome where Paul had been trying to get to for three or four years, all right, next week, your assignment if you 've got your book, you have to read to page fifty two and you don 't have to start till page forty one you can skip everything up to that. Okay. All you got to do, if you want to read for next week, as we go into more of this detail, is read 41 to 52. And if you want to grab some of these from the box, you can hand these to people next Sunday who do not go to a Sunday school class because we're not stealing bricks to build our building. We'll make our own. But if people don't go to a Sunday school class, pass these out. Pass them out at work, in your neighborhood, whatever. It'll be an interesting lesson. Points for home, and then we'll go. Number one, I don't want anybody in a scripture rut. I met a girl one time, her name was Allison. Allison said to me, I'm in a rut. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm in a rut on scripture. She says, I've read all this stuff. I know all these stories. I've been going to church. I've been going to Sunday school. Same old, same old, same old. No, it's not. We're just not looking in the right place if you're feeling that way. We're going to find passages in here about Paul that are going to make you say, wow. And bring him to life. So don't be in a scripture rut. Make a commitment. I'm going to study. I'm going to read some of this stuff that's so hard to read. I'm going to figure out some of these nuggets. And it'll be fun. And it'll be something that edifies you. And gets you out of that scripture rut. Point number two. Think about Paul's metaphors. Sometime just uh, put a note card in your Bible. That says metaphor. So when you're reading your Bible sometime. And you're reading Paul. Circle the metaphors. Just just for grins. You know, and, and, and see what he has to say. Think of, I mean, we know a lot. I talked about the pedagogue, but some of them are just as obvious, if not more. Ephesians put on the whole armor of God. Breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the sandals of truth. Sword of the Spirit. Shield of faith to quench the darts of the enemy. And lots of metaphors in Paul's writings, and and think about them. And finally, number three, and and my big point for home is this: nature nurture. God put them together to make Paul the perfect guy to do God's work. God takes a man who understands fully his Jewish heritage, and has studied it at the feet of one of the leading rabbis, who's a Hebrew of Hebrews, who's got steeped Hebrew culture, whose daddy was a Pharisee, who was a Pharisee himself understands Jesus Messiah with all that it means from the Old Testament. And yet, while one leg is so firmly entrenched in that, the other leg has exposure to travel and the world and the Greek language and the Greek philosophers so that he can stand up in Athens in front of the world's leading philosophers and start quoting Greek poets and has a resume that says, I'm from Tarsus, Which makes them think, well, at least he's got good schooling. All right, we'll listen to what this guy has to say. That's one of the best schools out there. And he's able to quote their poets. And he's able to talk about the unknown God. And he's able to tell them how Jesus Christ is alive. And this is the man that God uses to take the gospel into the Greek world. Paul, nature and nurture is the man for God's plan that fits it like a hand in a glove and what I wish I could impart in everybody in here's feelings and hearts and minds is that whatever you've been through in your life, all of the good and all of the bad has put you today in a place where God has something for you like nobody else. You fit it like a hand in a glove. Oh, it may not be taking the church to foreign lands. It may just be taking care of someone in need who God puts in your life. It may be clothing someone who's been left beaten up by the side of the road. It may just be in loving your family and taking care of your kids because maybe one of your kids is going to go save the world. I don't know what it is, but I do know that God's no less done it for you And he has for Paul. That's the beauty of God. That's his oikonomos. That's the economy of God. He doesn't waste anything. And he won't waste anything in your life or mine. Would you pray with me? God, I pray over this class a prayer of blessing. You have blessed us richly that we even get to come together and study your word. But I pray a special blessing over this class right now that you will... Touch everyone with an understanding That that you have called them That you've called them with their gifts That you've called them with their questions That you've called them with their confidence With their doubt With their courage With their fear With their strengths With their weaknesses That you've called each of us here Lord I pray we will grasp and understand And that we will answer the call And find the work you have for us to do. And that we will do that work through the power of your Holy Spirit. To your praise and glory. Through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Amen.